Hello, listeners, and welcome to a brand new episode of Second Take Cinema. A grand old episode for me, because today, today, we're giving a second take to one of my legitimately favourite movies of all time. It's time for a second take on 1992's Army of Darkness. That's right, today we are reviewing a film from a man who is one of, if not my favourite director. It's one of my favourite films. I've seen it hundreds of times, shown it to Rory. We are talking I've Army. seen it twice from you now. You've and seen I've it never twice seen it from before. me. <laughs> we are talking Army of Darkness, a.k.a. Evil Dead yes. 3. Army of Darkness was released in 1992. It is a dark fantasy comedy horror film directed, co-written and co-edited by Sam Raimi, starring Mr. Bruce Campbell and M. Beth Davitz, who the following year went on to be in Schindler's List. Bit of a jump there, Army of Darkness to Schindler's List. S- very similar themes, though. Mm. Yes, <laughs> of course. It had a budget of $11 million and made $21.5 million. Yes. Uh, so it did double its budget, but it is still regarded largely as a commercial failure. Uh, it was very damaging to the career of Bruce Campbell, but has gone on to become a pop culture touchstone, uh, including being referenced in things such as Duke Nukem. Yep. Uh, various other movies and TV shows, and when Evil Dead media gets made these days, like Evil Dead video games, things like that, nearly all of the catchphrases people associate with Ash actually come from this film. Yeah. Um, the only ones that don't are Give Me Back My Hand, mm. and um, when Ruby. he... Um, in Evil Dead 2. I'll swallow your soul. I'll swallow your soul. Swallow this. Doesn't Groovy also predate this film? Groovy's in all three of them, yeah. yeah. That is that is his catchphrase. He says Groovy all the time. Yeah. Groovy. Which uh, influenced Earthworm Jim. Yeah. Yes. Earthworm Jim. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, the film stands at 68%, with the critic consensus reading, Some of the evil magic is gone as this trilogy capper dispenses with most of the scares, but Bruce Campbell's hammy charm and Sam Raimi's homage to classic visual effects makes for a fun enough adventure. Roger Ebert gave the film two out of four stars and wrote, The movie isn't as funny or as entertaining as Evil Dead 2, however, maybe because the comic approach seems recycled. In a review for the New York Times, Janet Maslin wrote that, Mr. Campbell's manly, mock-heroic posturing is perfectly in keeping with the director's droll outlook. 
Dustin Howe, in a review for the Washington Post, praised the film's style. Bill Pope's cinematography is gymnastic and appropriately frenetic. The visual and makeup effects from artist technicians William Messer, Tony Gardner and others are incredibly imaginative. However, Entertainment Weekly gave the film a C-plus rating and wrote, This spoofy cast of thousands looks a little too much like a crew of bland Hollywood extras. By the time Army of Darkness turns into a retread of Jason and the Argonauts, featuring an army of fighting skeletons, the film has fallen into a ditch between parody and spectacle. Interesting. Yeah. Um, It's definitely a cult classic. It's one of those things that's beloved by uh, by hardcore fans and the general public basically don't remember that it ever exists. I don't think I've ever mentioned it to anyone in the general public and they've been like, yes, I am aware of this film. And then you describe the film to them and you usually get about as far as he has a chainsaw for a hand Mm. and people check out. I have to say, though, (laughs) it might just be because you're calling it the wrong thing. No. Yes. No. See, in Japan, it's not called Army of Darkness. It's an American title. The Japanese title is stupid. The Japanese title is probably the best title the film has got, which is Captain Supermarket. (laughs) No. Captain Supermarket, Jamie. That, at least it has an actual Army of Darkness in it. It has a supermarket. Not in the European Cup. That's true. So, eh. But he mentions it. This is my boomstick. And then he buy tells this from the... S-Mart. There you go. You find this in the sporting goods section. There you go. So that's why he's Captain Supermarket. But before we move on to talk about this absolute gem of a movie that influenced me hugely, it's time to quiz Rory. So as you know, Roy, this is directed by one of my all-time favourite directors, Mr. Samuel Raimi. Yes. I thought it might be fun to see if you can work out the ten highest grossing movies of Sam Raimi's career. Oh, no. Starting at ten with the lowest. So this is the top ten. He's made more than ten films. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm going to give you a hint. Despite being the thing he is most known for, none of the Evil Dead movies make the cut. What, the top ten? None of them are in the top ten. That makes sense because they're not high-grossing films. No, they are niche. Yeah. So, number ten is a film I know you've seen. You have seen it. What do you think is the tenth highest-grossing Sam Raimi film? Oh, Christ! Quick and the Dead! The Quick and the Dead is his tenth-highest-grossing movie. <laughs> it was, That was two weeks ago, Rory. Three at the push. The Quick and the Dead... Grossed $18.6 million. Up next, a film you may not have heard of, to be fair, but it stars Keanu Reeves. And it came out in 2000, I think. Keanu Reeves, 2000. It's a murder mystery. Directed by Sam Raimi. For some reason, my brain keeps going to secret window, but that was Johnny Depp. That was Johnny Depp. Uh, Gift. The Gift, yes. Grossing $44.5 million. Okay, the last one that so this is eight, and this is the last one that is D 
difficult to guess, in my opinion. Right. Because I had no idea Sam Raimi made this. Oh. No idea. This... And you're a fan. Yeah. I Honestly, I, much like guessing Zack Snyder did Owls of Gahul. This is that I level. could guess all day and not get this. This is a Kevin Costner baseball movie. And oh. it's not Field of Dreams. Oh, then, then I don't know. <laughs> For the love of the game... 1999, $46.1 million. The only one I knew Kevin Costner did was Field of Dreams. Jesus. Mm. In number seven, we have a... this. He did this in 1990. Yep. It is a quasi-superhero movie, but it is not based on Marvel or DC. I think it's an original hero he created, I think. And it's not like in... Dark Man. It is Dark Man. Well done. $48.8 million. Liam Neeson, wasn't it? Liam Neeson and Francis McDormand. Now, everything up to now has been below $50 million, right? Right. We're now jumping, for number six, to $90.8 million. Wow. It is a horror movie. He made it in the late 2000s. I think it was 2008. Right. It's about a woman who gets a gypsy curse put on her. And it features Justin Long in the film. And not, our mutual not Cabin fr- in the Woods? No. House on the left? No, that's way older. That's the 70s. Oh. It is a film oh, you've that's heard last me... House on the left. Yeah, it's it a film you've heard me say the title of. And our mutual friend Luke, um, he went to the cinema to see this. And according to Joe, he sat with his face in his hands the entire time. Which is hilarious because this is not a scary movie. It's more of a horror comedy. Oh, for some reason, they've got the word hostel coming through me, Ed. That's Eli Roth. Yeah. And it it's, is... not, it's not a horror comedy. It's just a gore No, fest. that's just, yeah. Um, are you ready? Here you go on. It's Drag Me to Hell. Oh, I wasn't going to guess that. Okay. We're going to jump even higher. So that was 90.8 million. This man has nothing if not huge gaps in his yeah. thing. This next film grossed four. Hundred and ninety-three point three million dollars. How many are left overall? Five. Right. I know you haven't seen it, but we've spoken about it. Mm. And in twenty thirteen, it was so it's close. It features appearances from Mila Kunis, right, and Rachel um, Vice and Michelle Williams, and now noted. No one wants him in their lives anymore. James Franco. I would character- I would categorise it as a fantasy film. No, the only one I can think of is the mock-up of The Room, and it's not that. Uh, <laughs> the, the Disaster yeah. Artist. Yeah, that's a good film. Uh, it's Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah, I don't know that film. That's all right. So we're in the top four. I'm going to give you a hint now. The next four... They're all superheroes. all superhero They're films. all Marvel. They are all Marvel. Yeah, it's going to be the three Spider-Man and uh, Doctor Strange. But in what order? Yeah, exactly. Oh, you just want me to guess now? Uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to imagine... you. I think you will be surprised which one grossed the least, actually. Given their reputations and how fondly yeah, yeah, they're yeah, remembered. Yeah, I think it's going to be Spider-Man 1, 2, 3, and then the top one is going to be Doctor Strange, just because of how big the superhero genre is. You're, you're close, you're not quite there. Spider-Man the, 2 made the least? The lowest grossing is Spider-Man 2. That's the best regarded one. I know. I, I figured that Spider-Man 3 would be the highest grossing out of those three. Yeah. 
be- only because even though it's not highly regarded, I know it did smash all Spider-Man the Spider-Man 3, yeah. So Spider-Man 1 smashed a load of records and then Spider-Man 3 smashed those records. Yeah, yeah. So it went Spider-Man 2. And to be fair, it wasn't by a lot. It's, it's very close. Mm. Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 3, and then at number one just last year, mm. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness which made $955.8 million. That's, that's near enough a billion. Yeah. On DVD sales, that will cross a billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, just I want to put something into perspective here, because here's, here's a reason I love, I love Sam Raimi, because he gives me hope as an indie filmmaker. Okay. I'm going to read you out what his other films made. So the ones that didn't make the top 10. In descending order. What, so from, from most to the highest. very lowest. So okay. these are the ones that didn't make the top 10. I'm going to start the one that was nearest the top 10. A Simple Plan in the late 90s. Right. It's got, uh, what's his face in it? He's dead now. He's a very good actor. He's in True Lies. He's in Terminator and Predator. And Alien. He's the only actor to be oh, killed by all three. Yeah. Bill, Bill. Bill. Not Bill Pullman. The one who's dead. Bill Pullman's still alive. Oh, I feel terrible that I can't remember his name. Um, Paxton. Paxton. Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. Uh, this is a film he did with the Coen brothers. Yep. A Simple Plan made 16.3 million. Right. Army of Darkness made 11.5 million. Evil Dead 2, 5.9 million. Evil Dead 1, 2.89 million. Crime Wave, his lowest grossing movie. He made it between Evil Dead 1 and 2. Made it with the Cohen brothers. It was written by the Coens yep. before they were the Coens. Yep. It made five thousand dollars. <gasps> five thousand dollars. That's all. Imagine that now, is a failure. Imagine today saying a film directed by Raimi, written by the Coens, only made five thousand dollars. Must have been a romance. No, it's a crime. It's a crime. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Thing. I'm um, joking. It, it, basically, it's the reason Evil Dead 2 got made because it destroyed Sam Raimi's career. And they were like, you, we'll, the only thing we will fund you is Evil Dead because that's what you're known for. So he did Evil Dead 2. Yeah. But just take inspiration, fellow filmmakers, that this is a man who went from in the 80s, made $5,000, by 2002. And Spider-Man 1 was making $700 million and breaking records. Jeez. And by 2023, was making just shy of a billion dollars. Mm. If that's not a reason to have hope, yeah, I don't know what is. $5,000. I could not believe it when I read it. Yeah, that's I was like, that must be a typo. Yeah. It must be. $5,000. Fucking hell. But if it only came out in three cinemas, it means that it didn't have much of a push by the distributor then. No, it was a, it was a proper indie budget film. Oh, it was an indie. Okay, fair enough. Mm. His first studio movie was Army of Darkness, I think. Possibly Darkman. Darkman might have been a studio movie. Mm. 
Um, actually, yes, it was because I remember reading actually the reason Army of Darkness got made was because Darkman actually did surprisingly well. The studio didn't think it would do as well as it did. Yeah. Um, and they were like, okay, what do you want to do next? And he obviously felt bad that Bruce Campbell's career wasn't getting off the ground. He went, I want to do an Evil Dead 3 with Bruce as the lead. Yeah, no, fair enough. That's good of him. But anyway, well done, Rostafer. We're now moving on after these commercials. So, Army of Darkness. Yes. I've seen this film... I bet you I've seen it 200 times. I've seen this film so often. I've pro- Other than A Nightmare on Elm Street, this is probably the film I've seen the most. And to be honest, it's pretty close to A Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, I'm not sure which one I've seen the most often. Sure. I saw this. This was actually the first of the Evil Deads that I saw. Uh, it was playing on TV one day while I was off sick from school. It, During that, the day? Yeah, that probably tells you how not scary it is. Yeah, it's really not a horror film, is it? That it was just playing during the day. Um, I love this movie. I can appreciate that it is an acquired taste, and it's something that you have to be... I would not expect to show this to an everyday, normal, average Marvel enjoyer. Yeah. And them like this. Because the things I like in this are the homages that Sam is making to older film genres, the creativity that has gone into making the film, and the passion that you can clearly feel coming through. And this is why I like Sam Raimi, because this is the case with every film of his I've ever seen. You can feel the love of filmmaking radiating off the screen. It's not a sensible plot. It's a really stupid plot. It is stupid. I like that it's unabashed with what it's trying to do, though. Right. And the reason I put this in here was not at all because I thought I was going to rethink it. Yeah. Oh, I you didn't think, oh, maybe I won't like it. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I'll finally watch it and be bored. <laughs> liked it more than I've ever liked it before, yeah. watching it again. It's so funny, mm. in my opinion. Um, and I just wanted an excuse to talk about it, quite frankly, because I feel like more people need to know about Army of Darkness. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so for yourself, this is the second time. Both times you've seen this, it's been because of me. Yeah, so the first time was... Eat it till you choke! <laughs> uh, I can't remember if it was a year or two years ago you mm. showed me this uh, for the first time. I didn't really enjoy it then, mm. uh, being honest. So it's more of me having a second take on it. Yeah. I can understand, I fully 100% understand why you watched it this time and loved it more than ever. Mm. Army of Darkness is not a good film Mm. in terms of traditional narrative storytelling. Yeah. It is schlock, it is cheese, it is stupid. The second viewing of it was a lot more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I think if I was to watch it a third time, I'd find it even more enjoyable. It's one of those rare films that realistically isn't really that good Mm. on a first watch. But the more you watch it, the more the things stick to your head 
the taglines come out, they become more quotable, you're waiting for them, you then anticipate them. You then quote them as they're coming out live the next time yeah. you watch them. And then as you, the more and more you watch it, the more you cheer for it. And suddenly this film, which is kind of meh, bit shit, bit mm. cheesy, a bit wank, suddenly it's your favourite film. Yeah. Now, I haven't gotten to that point with this film yet. As I say, it's only a second viewing. Yeah. But my enjoyment was more than double my first viewing. Yeah. My, the reason I know that that's the case with this is the only, there's very few times that that's occurred. One of those times is for me, Street Fighter the movie. Yeah. Street Fighter the movie, you watch it once, you're like, what is this absolute garbage? Yeah. All the accents are wrong. The acting's terrible, apart from Raul Julia. Yeah. Um, the fights are mostly okay at best. They're not great martial artists. No. The it's cheesy. It is beyond terrible. Watch it a second time. It's actually quite fun. Yeah. Watch it a third time. Raul Julia is the damn MVP of all cinema. Watch it a fourth time. Yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme's got some funny lines. Watch it a fifth time. And it's one of those... It's exactly the same for me as yeah. Army of Darkness, I think. I think those two are this weird, rare middle ground where they're terrible movies in mm. a traditional sense. Yeah. But they are so fun yeah. and quotable that actually you don't really get to appreciate them on a first-time viewing. Yeah. You have to watch them again and again and again to properly enjoy them at their best. Yeah. Which is strange because, again, the, unlike something like a theatre play or something like that, the film doesn't change. It's as good or as shit as the first time you watch it, mm. but your appreciation of it changes. Yeah. For some reason. I, st I don't fully understand why. Uh... But yeah, watching it the second time, like when I watched it the first time and you were like, oh, there's, like, you told me a bits about it before. Yeah. I watched it the first time and like, oh, he's got these lines up, this is my boomstick and all yeah. that. I watched it the first time and, was like, and he goes, this is my boomstick. I'm like, meh. And you're like, yes, it's a great line. I'm like, that's yeah. fucking bollocks. Watch it the second time. I'm like, yeah, this is my boomstick. Yeah. And I'm doing the same shit. Yeah. And you get, again, similar in Street Fighter. Mm. Um, you know, Raul Julia, it was Tuesday. Uh, it's a fucking incredible line of cinema yeah when you watch it the first time you're like that's a weird line you watch it the second time you're now quoting it yeah uh all i want to do is create the perfect genetic soldier you know not for power not for evil but for good like it's cheese it's yeah. bollocks there is no you stick that in any other film and you're like what have you done to ruin your film so badly yeah. It's a bit of fun. Um, yeah, so my, my impression of this is greatly appreciated, and I would actually like, not immediately, I think I need a little bit more time, but I would like to watch it a third time. Yeah. Uh, which I did not expect, having not really enjoyed it the first time. Yeah. I know you notice more details in the second time mm. as well. I noticed the Oldsmobile coming back more often. I forgot about it. Him manipulating it somehow into a, a like machine. a death machine. Um, whereas well, before, that's just that's ridiculous. How the yeah. fuck would he have done that? Second yeah. viewing, you le you you just throw that away to the wind yeah. and go. It's a death machine. I found yes. it to be an excellent party film. Mm. Um, I I had a birthday party a few years back, 
where I, I had a bunch of people come around who hadn't seen it before mm. and I just played it and we literally just sat watching this film laughing our heads off. Yeah. Um, I think the reason it holds up, because there's plenty of films. We just did White Chicks recently, right? Oh, God. And we were like, well, White Chicks is just stupid. Yeah. Well, this is just stupid. What's the difference? The I don't difference, think White Chicks improves on repeat viewing. The difference is that, well, yeah, but what's the difference in the skill? And right. the difference is that Sam Raimi is a very talented filmmaker. Mm. And you can, even even if the plot is ridiculous, you can see that in this film. Yeah. Comedy, bear in mind this is not ostensibly a comedy, whereas White Chicks is just an outright comedy. Yep. This is so deftly skilled at reviving an older style of comedy that especially nowadays feels refreshing because you don't see it now all comedy in film is sarcasm or yeah. memes yep this one of my favorite jokes it's so dumb but this is three stooges-esque this is marx brothers-esque even maybe yeah, yeah. I was going to um, compare it to Mark's Brothers in a minute. It's the bit where after Ash has picked up the book and he's failed to say Klaatu Verata Nikto, yep. and he's trying to get out of the graveyard and all the tombstones, clearly styrofoam, but all the tombstones are like shooting into the air yeah. and the skeleton hands come up and grab him. They're dragging him out and they're like smacking him and stuff. There's a bit where Bruce Campbell, he gets smacked a few times, he gets poked in the eye and then he looks straight at the camera, dead ahead of him, and he goes... Oh, as if something's rushing at him. And instead of something coming at him, about eight different skeleton hands all come from the side of the frame yeah, and punch, and him, and punch the- him all at the same time. <laughs> and then they even add in a Tweety Bird Looney Tunes sound effect. Yeah. That sort of tweeting birds when someone's been knocked out thing. Yeah. That's hilarious to me. Yeah, because it's so ridiculous. And the misdirection mm. works so well. I've, it has been a long time since I've seen a comedy, especially a Hollywood comedy, where I didn't accurately know what all the punchlines were going to be before they were said. Yeah. Because comedy, much like Hollywood horror, has become so paint by numbers yeah. that if you've seen more than about five films in your life... Then you know what the punchlines are. You can are. sit there going, right, this joke's coming here. He's going to fall down them stairs. This bit's going to be gross out. Yeah. Oh, they're going to be sarcastic. Well, it's, it's like if someone tells you a doctor doctor joke. Yeah. Whatever the answer to the doctor doctor or the knock knock joke is, yeah. it doesn't really matter. You know that it's going to end a particular style of way. Yeah. So even if the content changes, you know when the punchline is. Yes. Um, whereas you don't necessarily know that going in, certainly yeah. not on a first viewing of this film. Hell no. And actually, got... I think that's why it doesn't always... I think that's why, certainly in a modern framework, when you watch it now, mm. as a first-time viewing, it doesn't work. Yeah. Because you're sitting there going, well, these punchlines are being missed left, right, and centre. Like, where's the punchline meant to mm. be? And it's only after you've seen it once that you understand yeah. that the punchlines are at a different pace yeah. to what you expect from normal yeah. film. And purely from a... Um... This I realise this part won't appeal to everyone. This appeals to me as a filmmaker mm. and a pretentious wanker. It's so nice to watch a film where everything's practical. The skeletons are stop motion. Yep. The bit with the mini ashes is done with rear projection. Yeah. Even the evil force is literally Sam Raimi with a camera on a block of wood running. Like It's just so nice to look at a film and not go he- and go, hey, 
there's no CGI here. Yeah, even though there's visual effects. Yeah. Before we move on to the visual effects, uh, the one last thing I want to talk about in terms of its plot, pacing, storytelling, whatever. Um, you mentioned Marx Brothers. Mm. I think something the reason this works, and the same thing that I like about Street Fighter. Now, I'm not saying these are on the same level because I love Marx Brothers mm. as a classic piece of film. However... Something you can't get... Marx Brothers isn't best when you watch it the first time either. Right. But I've had a lot more time to analyse those and can understand them a bit more because they're not cheesy schlock crap. Yeah. Like Street Fighter is, for example. Um, The Marx Brothers works on multiple viewings. Mm. It works best that way. You will never catch all the jokes on the first viewing. Yeah. You could slow motion watch the Marx Brothers and you still wouldn't catch all the jokes. Because some of those jokes are... like Certainly, what's great about the Marx Brothers is the Groucho's jokes are quick fire. You get so many fired like a machine gun all at once. You'll never catch them all. Yeah. You have to watch it again, knowing some of the pre- the other jokes that he's telling to, to catch the, the ones you ones. missed the first yeah. time. Um and some of them are really subtle. Some of them are really outlandish for their time. Mm. Then you've got Harpo, who is uh, more akin to what the sort of comedy is in this. Yeah. His physical comedy. He's silent. He So he's a silent movie, mm. melodramatic clown. Right. So you've got that element in this film. Even though it's a talkie, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And then you've got Chico, who is the who is a man so stupid... That he's able to be more intelligent than Groucho when Groucho's trying to con him. Chico is the only man who can con the con man. Right. Because he's so dumb, he manipulates the con man without the con man realising it. Right. Um, But in order to get the best out of all of those three working in unison, you have to watch each film several times to pick up on all the little bits you missed the first time. Army of Darkness has a very similar Mm. thing. Uh, and a lot of that comes from the visual effects as well. Yeah. Uh, but as, certainly the jokes that are told. You're talking about the graveyard scene. At first, when you first watch it, it's someone fucking about in a fake graveyard. Yeah. And there's a lot of very obvious slapstick. Yeah. When you watch it a second time, you appreciate the misdirection that you missed. Yeah. Because you were just going, why the fuck are we in such a shitty looking courtyard? Yeah. When you're watching it the second time, you're like, it's cheese. I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. Now you miss. Now you're not missing the misdirection. Yeah. You're going, oh, that was clever. Actually, that's it's smarter than you gave it credit for yeah. the first time you watched it. And the visual effects do this, as you say, uh, where there's no CGI, where they're having to use rear projection, where they're having to time things and manipulate mm. um, elements of the screen to give you the impression that something else that yeah. normally nowadays you would just do with green screen or with um or with uh, CGI yeah in order to give you that impression they have to be a lot smarter yeah well we compared it didn't when we were watching it so basically there's a scene in this where Bruce Campbell's ash gets trapped in a windmill overnight and a bunch of mini versions of himself come out yeah and the way that's done is he's filmed as the big ash on rear projection, and then there f- he, then he films himself in front of the screen. Yeah. And there's lots of really physical comedy here where he's like slipping in spilled curds. He accidentally like melts his face to the wooden thing. Yeah. I, I, I will say this there is no, I swear to God, and I mean this, there is no actor in Hollywood so good at doing comedy where they're beating themselves up as Bruce Campbell. Evil Dead 2, when his hand's possessed yep. and he's smashing. 
stuff over his head, <clears throat> Army of Darkness, and then they even bought it back for he has a cameo in Doctor Strange too, because of course he does it it's a Sam Raimi film, and he's he's an obnoxious hot dog seller yeah. who gets up in Doctor Strange's face. So Doctor Strange casts a spell on him that makes him beat himself up. Right, and it's literally it is just him doing his Evil Dead two shtick, <laughs> but Bruce Campbell's now sixty three years old and still doing it. Wow, that's um, great! I think the only yeah. actor I've ever seen who could try and match it, and I'm not sure he completely matches it, um, is Jim Carrey. And in Liar Liar, uh, Liar, uh, Liar, Jim Carrey can definitely match the movements. I, I fully believe that. You've not it's... seen Liar Liar yet. He beats himself up in the toilet. Yeah, uh, that's the, probably the closest he gets to Ash. Yeah. And I would say it's not the same. No, because Bruce Campbell, he's also going crazy while he's doing it. Yeah, when he's doing stuff like in Evil Dead Two, when he's cutting his own hand off, and it should be horrifying and he should be like, oh, but he's just like, who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> and he does that here when one of them jumps down his throat and he drinks boiling water out of a kettle. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted to say about this, which I've, I actually forgot what my original point was, was that was it. We then, while we were watching it, we compared this to Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes. Which has a scene where Paul Rudd is attacked by about 30 animated mini uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow, Marshmallow Men. Yeah. They're all CGI. They're all CGI and they barely interact with him. There's one that interacts with him. And one it's... bites his finger. Yeah. And then, no, I think one climbs at him in the car at the end, but it's very brief because they then quickly cut to the next. No, it's the big gargoyle dog that jumps at him in the car. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, because that's what the scene cuts on. Yeah. Um, and then when, when we next yeah, see so you're Paul right. Rudd, he's been possessed by the dog. Yeah, so mostly it's one bites his finger, which is just him shaking his hand and yeah. they add it in CGI. And that film was made 30 years after. And it had all the benefits of, like, be- bear in mind, that had the big Hollywood budget that yeah. this didn't have. Yeah. It had CGI, green screen. You could do anything you wanted to have yeah. those. But all you, you get a lot of the Stay Puft Marshmallow yeah. doing basically buggering about. Yeah. But it's all independent of any yeah. like, any actual actors. The one that's so impressive in this, and again, this is something I only appreciated this time, because it's such a silly little thing. Mm. And I, I'm assuming it's just the timing, because the only way they could have done it is with the rear projection. Uh, the way he kills one of the little Ashers is the little Ash is hiding behind a pile of logs. Right. And Big Ash is laying there. I think he's just hit his head on the pipe. And he realises that the little Ash is there, and he goes, and then elbows the log. So the log hits the little Ash, who falls into the fire Yes. That's amazing. Mm. Because you've got Big Ash knocking what I'm assuming that's on the rear projection as well is the log. Yeah. But then the little Ash has to time perfectly... The impact, yeah, and fall at the right time. Otherwise, that would look so terrible. Yeah, like yeah, that's amazing. It, yeah, that whole sequence has to be very meticulously timed. Yeah, I'd love to know actually how long the windmill sequence took to film. I'd love yeah, to know that because it's kind of weird as well because the windmill sequence doesn't really do anything for the rest of the film, though it does lead to the creation of the Evil villainous Ash. Ash. That, that is the only but, that's the yeah. only plot relevant thing it does. Yeah, but for the most part, it's just yeah. like, well, we've got we've got to f- pad out the runtime. Yeah. Let's just do Evil Dead Two again inside yeah. a windmill. And fair play, this is Sam Raimi really like throwing a bone to his friend Bruce. Yeah, like not only to say, hey, come be the lead in my first big studio film, but also be the villain as well. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're taking all of the glory roles. Yeah. And oh, the bit 
that bit, it's obviously stop motion, but it's so cool. You know when they're running down the hill and they're still sort of conjoined? Yeah. But in each shot, they're further and further apart from each other. Which is ironically something they do in the new doc when they split in the by regeneration yeah. in Doctor Who. Yeah, except that was CGI. Yeah. This was this creepy stop motion effect. Yeah. And then when they separated and he's like, I'm bad, Ash, and you're good, Ash. You're a goody two shoes. You're And he just sticks the shotgun right under his nose and yeah. just goes, and, and bad Ash just goes, oh, like he's fucking Tim Allen. Yeah. And he just goes, I ain't that good. <laughs> yeah. It's so. What a line. Yeah, I love it. And, and something that I appreciate about it now and about Evil Dead as a whole, that I'm not going to... I'm not going to suck Sam Raimi's dick and say he definitely planned this. I think it's more just a a nice coincidence. Is I think, looking back on these films, especially Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, fair enough, Evil Dead 1, not so much. I know you haven't seen that one yet, but Ash is much more of just a straightforward, oh, I'm trapped in this situation character. I think, especially Army of Darkness, in this modern, postmodern era that we're living in now, where everything's meta, yeah, and everything's about subversion and things like that, it's it's it makes Army of Darkness look smarter than it probably is because Ash looks like he is a deconstruction of the action hero stereotype. Oh, I see. he's a square jawed american white guy with a thick head of hair and he's got that real american accent and he's very you know yeah cool quote unquote but he's a fucking moron and he has to be coerced into everything he wants to do he doesn't want to go look for the book no and when the when he agrees to go look for the book and the wise man's like you must say the words and he's like yeah yeah i got it you know straight away you don't (laughs) got it (laughs) you know even the first time i watched it as a child i was like He's going to turn up, get this book, and not say those words. Yeah. Like, he, he's not got this at all. I, it did make me pause, though, when he goes, uh, what's it, Klaatu Varada Nikta. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's like, it's an N-word. I'm like, yeah. don't say yeah. it. Don't say yeah, it. Yeah, necktie, necktie. Yeah, no, I'll think Definitely God. an N-word. Yeah. Definitely an N-word. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, dude, don't, don't say yeah, the N-word. That's, that sort of mean humour has never been Sam Raimi's style, luckily. Yeah. Um, In terms of... So I I think this is a legitimately great movie. I legitimately love it. It's one of my top ten. Okay. I I recognise that if I was to look at this academically in terms of like three act structure or five act structure even, yeah. it don't really have that. Um, mm. it, really. Yeah, it kind, of, it kind of throws you straight in with no. Thing, things just kind of happen, yeah. and the entire last hour is a siege. Yeah, there's no real hero's journey for Ash either because he doesn't learn from his mistakes that no. much. No, um, he, doesn't. he doesn't. And I know that's all. part of the character, but yeah, that mm. normally the hero's journey yeah. would be he would go from A to B yeah. to C, and in that process he would learn and mature and you know yeah. get something valuable out of the pro. That doesn't happen. Nah. No, no. Or he, I mean, he even turns around and. Um, <laughs> Embeth Davis, who he has relations with early in the film. Yeah. Sheila, someone in medieval England called Sheila. Sheila. Yeah. Um, she gets taken by the Deadites and turned into the queen for evil Ash. Yeah. And when she comes back, I love this line, when she comes back and she's trying to stab him with that harpoon and she's like, you found me beautiful once. And he's just like, baby, you got real ugly. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's not even a moment of him being like, oh, I failed. I let this happen. Yeah, I let you down. He's or... just like, 
Yeah. Oh, when she's it's just, like, it's it's quips. And again, yeah. that's something that's very similar to something like Street Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Colonel Guile, have you lost your mind? No, you've lost your balls. Yeah. You're like, there's, mate, you're chatting shit to the UN yeah. ambassador, but no one cares. Yeah. And because that's is... not the point. Everyone's got a yeah. quip. It's Arnie. Yeah. Arnie films do that. Oh, yeah. Like Commando. You know, it's just like, what happened to Sully? I, I let you last. go. Yeah. Yeah. It... Um, <laughs> and this is a cartoon as well. It's a live action cartoon that is also a homage to Ray, uh, Harry, no, Ray Harryhausen films. Yeah, Ray Harryhausen. Like Clash yeah. of the Titans, Jason and the Argonauts. Oh, the skeleton Stop warriors motion skeletons. is ridiculous, yeah. Uh, what's hilarious is it's, it's that with Sam Raimi. Mm. Because in Jason and the Argonauts, the skeletons are pretty much straightforward skeletons. They come up, they're stop motion. Yeah. I don't think they have any dialogue usually, do no, they? No, they don't have any dialogue. In this, the skeletons are like working class Muppets. Yeah, they and are. And they're yeah. like, like one of them, they dig him up right when they're raising the army of the dead. They dig him up and they're like, welcome back to the land of the living. Now grab a shovel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like when they reveal evil Sheila, are you just hit... My ex used to find this the funniest line in the whole film. Right. She lifts her veil up and she goes, um, I'm bad, but I feel good. And when she lifts up the veil, everyone you hear all these like wolf whistles from the skeletons. Yeah. And one skeleton in the background just goes, oh, there's a sight for sore bones. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my ex found that the funniest line in the whole film. Nice. Um, there's a bit where... One of the skeletons, this is when the main battle's happening. They've breached the castle walls. And this skeleton's had its lower half blown off. So it's just the rib cage, the skull, and the arms. Yeah. And it's crawling along the floor with a fucking knife in its teeth. Yeah. A knife in its teeth. And Bruce Campbell does that thing where he cuts a rope to pull himself up. Yeah. And this thing's crawling. It's going, gonna get you, gonna get you. And he, he takes the knife out. And it's just about to swing. He goes up. The skeleton looks up and it's like, do you know that video of the dramatic gopher that turns around and the yeah. camera zooms in? It does that shot of the skeleton going, ah! Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a puppet. Yeah. When they kill the villain, and this is what I mean by cartoon, when the villain realises he's about to die, he's on... He doesn't realise he's standing on a catapult, does he? No. And he's been melted, so he's a ske- he is a skeleton himself at this point. Yeah. And Ash is laying on the floor. The fuse is burning up. And he's got the book. And he's like, I've got the Necronomicon. And I will kill everyone. Blah, blah, blah. And Ash just goes, um, buckle up, buster, or something like that. Right. Cuts the guy's arm off. So he drops the book. Cuts the rope. Now, the rope, if you cut the rope on a catapult, it immediately goes spring. Right? No, no. This Looney Tune style he cuts it. We cut to a shot of the bad guy who goes, Whoa, and his eyes pop out of his head. The top of his skull lifts up, yep. and steam comes out of his head, and it does like a steam whistle noise, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then he springs. It, that is the equivalent of when Wiley e. Coyote runs over a cliff yep. and doesn't realize gravity exists until he looks down. Yeah. Yep. And then and, he holds up the sign, help, and yeah. then he drops. Yeah, the guy might as well have done that. And yeah. I totally get that that is a very spe- specific taste. I understand that people would see that and go, that's stupid. It's immature. It's. And it is immature. It probably I mean, this, is. This, this film is not. Is I wouldn't classify it as an intelligent movie. It's certainly no. not a drama. No. But then 
it's not what it's trying to be either. No. You know, if it was, if this was The Godfather 4, mm. you'd be like, what the fuck have you done to The Godfather? Yeah. And whilst, <laughs> but, whilst I don't... But it's not, is it? It's, no. It's a car- it is a living cartoon. Yeah. And whilst, yes, something like White Chicks or Scary Movie or Epic Movie, we had a lot of films like that in the 2000s. Yeah. Whilst they are also stupid... The reason they feel just a little stupider is A, the lack of skill from the director, mm-hmm. and B, Army of Darkness always feels like it's drawing from classic cinema. Well, it's drawing from classic takes on a lot of things. Cinema, it's got a very Halloween vibe to it mm. to begin with. Rather than, uh, no, I don't mean Halloween the movie, I mean just as a theme. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, an annual year-round theme. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Scary Movie largely doesn't work unless you've seen the films it's referencing. Mm. Epic Movie doesn't work unless you know the films it's referencing. Yeah. White Chicks doesn't work. Oh, at a certain point in the 2000s, I just made a personal rule to myself that if a trailer began with the line from three of the producers who bought you Scary Movie, I wasn't going to watch the film. Yep. Because it always meant that it was a shit film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, basically these, this, at, at the very least with Army of Darkness, you don't need to have seen, say, Ghostbusters to understand the jokes in it. Yeah. You don't even need to have seen Evil Dead 2. You don't even need to have so seen Ray diff- Harryhausen. Yeah. Though that does I, help. I hadn't. When I saw this the first time, yeah. I'd never seen a stop motion skeleton in my life. No. I was like, oh, what's that? That's weird how they've done that. But imagine watching Scary Movie, having not seen Scream, having not seen any horror films. Yeah. You'd be like, why is this happening now? Why is this funny? And we we already mentioned, I think, in a previous episode, the fact that they do the wada joke from the... Ten years too late. Ten years too late. And now, like, imagine being 15 now, watching Scary Movie, and they're all going, wada, wada. You'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Not a clue. Yeah. Um, the it's... jokes age out because they're because they're referencing pop culture of the time. Yep. That's always but that's been a that's another big difference I have between say Bill and Ted and Wayne's World. Mm. Bill and Ted does not apart from some of the band names that they reference, like we need Eddie Van Halen for our band. You know, but the idea of making your own band yeah. is kind of timeless. Like yeah. from that point onwards, Wayne's World. Everything in Wayne's World is referencing pop Current culture of the time. That time yeah. So Wayne's World has aged... Look, both series have aged. Uh, like so Both of those films, the first Bill and Ted and the one's first Wayne's World. Worst. But one's aged much worse because yeah. it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Unless you know the pop culture of the time, yeah. Wayne's World makes no sense. Well, so I actually re-watched... I don't know what came over me, but I actually watched Scary Movie 2 not that long ago. Oh, right, okay. And there's a goddamn Monica Lewinsky jizz on the dress joke. Right. And I was like, no one today would go. I had to stop and think about it for a minute. Yeah. And was like, oh, it's um, Monica Lewinsky, right? Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That and was 1996, I think it was, that happened. I'm trying to think of how many comedies that are made today will be even in any way discernible as to what the fuck they're on about in 20, 30 years' time. To be fair, very few, because the truth is, comedy's a dead genre at the minute. Yeah, it is. normal comedy, like just straight comedy, mm. not not superhero comedies and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. actual something like Dodgeball. Yeah, they're not making them at the minute because no. they're not selling. Apparently, 
well, they're not making them, so how can they sell? Well, that's the paradox, isn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, even then, like, when they do do straight comedies... If you comedies, build like, it, they will come. <laughs> yeah. But when you look at straight comedies, like, they, they're still being produced for TV more so than film. Mm. Uh, something like SNL, etc. But even something like SNL, which has been going forever... And, and hasn't sketches. been funny in about 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're but, like, why does it... But that's like but, a general consensus. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. hasn't been funny for about 20 years. But regardless of that... Yeah. The jokes they're telling are like, huh, here we have Trump. Yeah. Here we have this. And it's like, mate, in 20 years' time, no one's yeah. going to know what the fuck you're talking now, fair about. Fair enough with Saturday Night Live, because that's always been the gimmick of Saturday Night Live. That is what the show is. Yeah, but every is single even... comedy I've seen recently is that. Yeah, and this is the problem. Like, if you went back to Saturday Night Live from its inception, mm. they're all jokes of the day. It's why Saturday Night Live doesn't hold up to rewatchers. Yep. But you are right. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Brooklyn Nine-Nine at the mix. I've been re-watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine because yes. very sadly we lost Andre Brewer in 2023. Oh, um, man, that's it was a real loss. loss, that was, because the dude was a great fucking actor. Him and Matthew uh, Perry in the same year. Oh, I know. Oh, Heartbreaking, world. man. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine's last season will not age well. No. Because it's all topical humour about the COVID-19 pandemic and the Black Lives Matter riots. Yes. Now, I'm not saying they were not serious topics. They were both very, very incredibly serious topics. The second one is an example of how fucking broken the system is. Yeah. That should not be being dealt with in a silly sitcom that literally usually has episodes where it's like people competing to be called greatest human slash genius. Yeah. Like, that is the wrong show to be dealing with a topic that heavy. Well, it's like Friends... Apart from a couple of visual nods in terms of costume where they're wearing FDNY t- t-shirts, mm. they didn't reference 9-11. No. Even though they were on the air during 9-11. Yeah. It was because, how is Friends going to deal with 9-11 exactly. without trashing itself? We, we, it's too deep a topic for yeah. that particular genre. Now, obviously, we are nowhere near, not even close. We are orders of magnitude beneath something like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes, of course. But when we were creating Haunted the Audio Drama... Mm. That first season was written, recorded, and aired during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And me and Benton sat early on and decided, you know what? In the world of Haunted, that never happened. Yeah. Because otherwise, we are not the right show to deal with that. We're not going to do episodes about how badly the government have bungled the handling of it. Well, the other thing as well is your show deals with, in several cases, conspiracies. And the last thing you need is to be making a show that basically... if It's like, oh, well, this show's about conspiracies. They're talking about COVID-19. Therefore, they agree that COVID-19 was a conspiracy. Yeah. And it's like that... Like, you don't want to... Whether or not you agree with that as an audience member, like, it's not... If you're trying to make uh, an easily accessible horror fiction show yeah you don't need to be dealing with whether or not covid19 was real or not no and i, I said to, i remember saying to benton when brooklyn on nine finished i said this last season give it 10 years and get someone to watch it mm. which you know people friends has been done 20 goddamn years and people still it's one of the most streamed shows there is yep. people love friends still yeah I said, you know, go back in 10 years and watch that last season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Most of Brooklyn Nine-Nine will hold. And people will be like... That one won't. People will be like, why is everyone wearing masks? Why are certain characters only on TV screens? So like uh, Hitchcock, because he was vulnerable, he's not physically in the season. 
Right. Until I think the very last episode, I think. Something like that. For most of the season, he's on an iPad. Right. That's going to feel so weird. Yeah. Isn't it? Yep. Um, yeah, it is what it is. Fair enough. I'm not saying anyone was right or wrong. It was a once-in-a-lifetime event. Some people decided to deal with it in their shows. I chose to bury my head in the sand and be like, no, we're not dealing with it. Because people don't want it as well. People watch media for escapism 99% of the time. I'm not watching Army of Darkness because I want a realistic lesson on medieval England. Yeah. The least medieval-looking England you've ever seen, by the way, shot in a desert in California. Yeah, I know, yeah. It's like, I don't think we have landscapes like this in. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about the two different endings to this film. Yeah. Uh, so the American ending is a slightly more hopeful, positive ending, where Ash gets back to his own time in a re-shoot, supermarket. Yeah, uh, but that is the canon ending now because of Ash versus Evil Dead. Um, he gets back to Smart and he's showing off about how he killed all these demons. No one believes him, and then a deadite turns up and he has a little shootout with her and kills her. Mm. Um, the original ending Sam Raimi wanted, and the ending that is still on my DVD copy of this film. Um, they beat the Deadites, blah, 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 and the the old wise Gandalf-type man makes Ash a potion that will allow him to get back to his own time. Every drop causes him to sleep for 100 years, and he's got to take six drops, I think it is, because he's 600 years in the past. And he is in the cave taking them, and he miscounts because he gets distracted by some shifting rock, and he takes seven drops. There's a big time skip thing, which that's kind of a cool way of doing it, where the camera's just rotating round, and every time it comes round, the car has got more and more cobwebs on it. Yeah. Um, and he gets out into the sunlight, and it's the most interesting post-apocalypse I've ever seen, because it's as if someone's crushed all the countries into one. The Statue of Liberty's there. The Eiffel Tower's there. Yep. Big Ben's there. I'm pretty sure the Pyramids of Giza are there. Yeah. And he's just looking out over this hellscape yeah. where all these things are. And he just drops to his knees and screams, I slept too long. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the thing. As an ending, that's the funnier ending. Yes. But I can understand why the studio didn't like it because how the fuck do you sequelize that? Exactly. <laughs> well, bad luck for them. The film didn't make any money. <laughs> no, that's true. But I, I assume that they, at the time, assumed Wanted it. sequels, yeah. Yeah, and they were like, well, how are we doing a sequel if he's in the post-apocalypse and everything's destroyed? Yeah, you either can't do it, or if you could do it, it's going to be expensive as hell. Yeah. Because we're going to have to make all these post-apocalypse sets. Yeah. So the American ending is, no, to be fair, the American ending is quite good, and it actually has one of yeah. the quotable lines that is missing in Hell to the King. I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, Hail to the King, baby. Yeah, that, yeah. That's Give me not some sugar, in, baby. That's not in the original ending. Cause that's, no. That has no relevance in that ending. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, there, there are some positives. I don't mind the American ending, but yeah. I can... It, you said, ironically, Ash vs. Evil Dead basically ends... Similar to Army of Darkness, yeah. Yeah, the original uh, Army of because Darkness Because it got cancelled, yeah. um, it ends on a cliffhanger where he wakes up in a post-apocalypse again. <laughs> but it's but this time it's like a Mad Max post-apocalypse. Right. Um, but yeah, because it got cancelled. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some irony there that, you know, basically went, fine, we'll go with the American ending. Yeah. And it still ends up with him fucked up in the future. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh. Oh, that is funny. But yeah, I don't think I've got anything else to say about this film. I, I, I highly recommend it to any film fans. People just looking to have a good time. You want to have a few drinks. It's a great movie to be drunk and watch. If you're um, looking for how to do interesting visual effects cheaply, mm. and by that I don't mean like that they're dirt cheap, but in a way, like a lot of modern filmmaking, we over-rely on green screen. We over-rely on um, CGI. But as independent filmmakers we tend not to have very good access to those anyway, certainly not at qu high quality level. Yeah. So we have to figure out different ways to achieve the same results. Army of Darkness, because it is all practical, all in camera, has to find other ways to achieve what we would now do so easily with CGI. Yeah. So if you're an independent filmmaker, it's well worth watching to see what you could do with those you know with those cheats essentially we call them cheats now they were just how you did effects yeah but because we're so used to not using these and use them manipulate them in, in for your own movies yeah. you know but there's ways and means this I, I i i i still want to watch this movie a third time because i really yeah. think i'll enjoy it a lot more yeah the third it's viewing. just fun it's, yeah and how many things in life these days are just fun yeah, not many. But yeah. So I think that's it. Thank you for everyone for listening. Uh, as always, we appreciate it. Please like, share, rate, subscribe, etc. All of the things that you get asked to do on every podcast that you listen to. Sorry to be just like everyone else, but that's how we grow the show. That's the name um, of the game. Please feel free to also listen to our back catalogue of episodes. Or if you want something a little bit different, you can head over and listen to VGMP, the video game movie podcast. If you search VGMP, it should come up on all good podcasting apps. Uh, that is a show also hosted by myself and Rory, a bit more comedic, that show, where we discuss video game movies. Because believe it or not, I know you're not going to believe this, they're not all bad. No. Most of them are. Most of them are. We don't know that most but of them are. not all. Most of the ones we've done so far yeah. there's are a, bad. There's over 500 and we've done around 60 to 70. Right. Yeah. But there are some hidden gems. There are some very good hidden gems. If you're also interested in listening to Haunted, the audio drama that we referenced on this show, that is our um, full cast audio drama that I run with Benton, my business partner. And it is sort of a Doctor Who meets X-Files horror adventure comedy series with a long-running storyline uh, coupled with Monster of the Week episodes, just like how you remember the X-Files. Uh, we are currently, by the time this releases, we've finished season two. I think we'll have done our summer specials or we'll have done one of them, I think. And we are basically in production on season three. It's very exciting. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. You guys rock. And we will see you next time on Second Take Cinema.